0: If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 113. This is a special day. I always look forward to coming to a mill site, but this is a special day. When I first heard that Emily had desired to confess her Lord and believers' baptism, the first thing that came to my mind instantly was Psalm 113. In November 1997, November the 16th to be precise, I preached here from Psalm 113. And I told Janet Savannah on the way up here, by the time I got done preaching, every woman in this place was boohooing. And I thought, wow, the Lord is really giving me a message here. He's really blessing this. And when I got done preaching, Linda told me, she said, that was a timely message. And that's when I found out that Denise was pregnant with the baby. who would turn out to be Emily. So I thought I would preach from that psalm again. And I'll try not to be the one boo But this is a psalm of pure joy and pure praise, and it's very appropriate for the occasion. The psalmist begins, praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This phrase, praise ye the Lord, is hallelujah. Now, we don't make a habit of using this phrase, hallelujah, because of how it's been abused by false religion. But by God's grace, we have many reasons to say hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. In this verse, you can make a whole message from this verse. In this verse, we're told, first of all, to whom praise is due. Praise is due to the Lord, to Jehovah, for who he is and for what he's done for his people in Christ. Secondly, we're told from whom praise is due. Now, praise is due to God from every creature, isn't it? But particularly from the servants of God, from all his people. All of his people are his servants, servants of the living God. And he's due the praise of our lips, isn't he? The praise of our hearts, the praise of our lips. And I would say especially preachers. It is our job to set forth the Lord Jesus Christ In his glory, the glory of his person, the glory of his work, set him forth in his glory so sinners are looked to him to be converted, to have salvation, to have life. From whom praise is due, his servants. And third, why praise is due? Because of the name of the Lord. Now we praise the name of the Lord. We preach the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because his name reveals who he is. His name reveals his character. Now, don't praise the God of your imagination. Don't attribute characteristics to God that do not belong to him. Don't attribute characteristics to God that are not revealed of him in his word. Don't praise this God, little g, this God who loves everyone, this God who sent his son to die for everyone, this God who's just begging men and women, boys and girls, to accept him as their personal Savior. That God's an idol. If that idol, that God of men's imagination, if that God is God, then this morning we ought to be praising Emily for making a decision for Jesus instead of praising God for his grace. Isn't that right? The names of God in Scripture reveal his character and distinguish him from all other gods, from other idols the name Elohim, Almighty God. That's the God who created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is Elohim, His name, Elohim, Almighty God. That's the God, that's the name that Paul used when he preached on Mars Hill Elohim. This is the God, Elohim, who told Noah, I'm going to destroy the world by a flood. And he did it. Almighty God. Elohim is the God who came to Abraham and told him, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Almighty God. And Elohim is the God who remembered his covenant with Abraham and brought his people up out of Egypt. Almighty God. That's his name, Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. That's his name. He will provide everything that God requires. And he's going to provide everything I need. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. That's his name that reveals his character. You know, I was talking to a man this week. And I made this statement. We do not preach imputed righteousness. That's not what we preach at all. We preach and we believe Jehovah Sidkenu. The righteousness of Christ imputed. And I'm telling you, there's a difference. One is preaching a doctrine. The other is preaching a person. His name is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth. The Lord that healeth all of our sin sicknesses, all of our diseases. That's his name because that's his character. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. We have peace with God through the blood of his cross. We don't make our peace with God. He's made peace with us. He's reconciled himself to his people. Now you be reconciled to him. That's his name, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Raya, the Lord my shepherd. Aren't you glad that's his character? That's his name? He came and found that lost sheep where he was and put him on his shoulder and brought him home. The Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. He'll never leave nor forsake his people. He's always present with his people because he abides in his people. That's his name. That's his character. That's the name that we praise. That's the Lord that we worship. And praising the Lord, worshiping him in spirit and in truth is of vital importance. It's so important. If I haven't started Before today, Lord, let me start now. Look what the psalmist says in verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If I haven't preached him before today, let me start today. If I haven't worshipped him before today, let me start today. Everyone who walks on the top side of this earth has reason to praise the Lord. They don't, but they have reason to. It amazes me that God even causes his son to come up on this sinful world. We went to see a play last night, and it's no exaggeration. They took the Lord's name in vain a hundred times, at least a hundred times. I mean, a hundred times. Janet said, I can't I wait for lightning to strike. I just, you just can't believe God lets this go on. But he does. And you know why he does? For his elect's sake. The Lord just didn't burn this entire place up last night during that play for one reason. There's more sheep to be found. There's more of his elect to be called to faith in Christ. If that doesn't make you you want to praise his name, if that doesn't make a man want to stand up on his hind legs and preach the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing will. That's the only reason that this world is still spinning in space is God's got more sheep to save. Verse 3, the psalmist goes on, he says, From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. There's not a moment during the course of the day his name is not to be praised. His mercies are just are countless. His name is to be praised. And a lot of the old writers, men who I esteem and assume that they know more than I do, Say, this is not just talking about a 24-hour day and the sun goes up and the sun goes down. This is talking about the time from God created the world to the time he wraps her up. Every moment of that time of human history, his name is to be praised. In verse 4, he goes on, he says, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Now the Lord is king of kings and lord of lords. And he's so high above us, we are reputed as nothing to him. The mountains of this earth, I saw a program the other day, I forget what mountain range it was on, but it's on one of these HD channels and they fly over it and you see all this This mountain. I mean, it's, it's majestic. It's the enormity of it. I mean, it's It's breathtaking. God counts that as the small dust of the balance. That's the dust that's on the balance that's so insignificant you wouldn't even wipe it off when you want to weigh something. That's what that mountain is to him. Then what are we to him? (laughs) We're reputed as nothing before him. He's so high above us, his ways are past finding out. You cannot learn Christ by education. You can't educate someone into the kingdom of God. It must be revealed. He's so high above us, he filleth all things. Yet all things put together can't fill him. That's how high above us he is. He's so high above us. Now listen, he's God. We're the creature. He's so high above us, he does not give us an explanation about why he does what he does. Elihu, remember Job had that trial. And those three friends came and they sat in silence for a few days. They'd have been a good friend if they'd have left it right there. But then they opened their mouth. Mm. And Elihu sat listening to it. And finally, he could not stand it anymore. And he said, boys, I kept silent. Because age ought to speak before youth, but you boys don't know what you're talking about. And one of the things he told them is, why do you strive against God? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. He's not going to give an account of why he does what he does to you and me. But you write this down. It's right just because God did it. It's right just because he did it. He's God. That's the only God that's worthy of, to be praised. This God who begs people to do stuff—he's not worthy to be praised. This God is worthy to be praised. He's on the throne, and we, our place before Him is in the dust at His feet. That God's worthy to be praised. In verse five, the psalmist says, "Who's like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Who's like the Lord our God?" You listen to these. TV preachers, and I wouldn't advise listening to them for too long, but listen to them. Is the God they preach anything like the God of this Bible? The God that you worship? The God that you put your trust and faith in? Hannah said, There's none holy as the Lord. That's the primary difference between the God that they preach and the God of this book. He's not holy. The God of this book is holy. Hannah said, there none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee, neither is there any rock like unto our God. There's none to be compared to him. Look over in Isaiah chapter 40. I love this chapter. Look in verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, The creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Who's like that God? None. There's none equal to him. There's none to be compared to him. There's none equal to him in power. There's none equal to him in justice. There's none equal to him in righteousness. There's none equal to him in love. There's none equal to him in mercy and grace. There's none to be compared to him. And Solomon, at the dedication of the temple, he said, The heaven and the heavens of heaven cannot contain thee. Yet the scripture here says he dwelleth on high. He dwelleth. He dwelleth in a calm way. He dwelleth. He's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off, wondering what's going to happen, wondering who's going to accept him, wondering, oh, is this person going to accept me, or is this person not going to accept me? He dwelleth on high, calm, sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning, working all things after the counsel. Of his own will. He dwelleth on high. Now, up to this point in this psalm, we see this. We praise God simply because of who he is. That's all the reason you need, simply because of who he is. But the amazing truth is that God, this God, none to be compared to him, delights to show mercy to sinners. We praise him for who he is. But now, the psalmist is going to give us some reasons to praise God for what he's done, for what he's done for his people. Look at verse 6. Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Now, God dwelleth on high. How high does he dwell? So high, he has to humble himself to behold heaven. He has to humble himself to see what the angels are doing. Now, if God has to humble himself to look on heaven where there is no sin, I grant you there was sin there at one time, but not for long. And that's that's one of the reasons God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. There was a time, a moment in time, there was sin in heaven. There was rebellion, wasn't there, when God cast Satan out. But there's no sin there now. And he has to humble himself to look on the things of heaven. Well, how much more does he have to humble himself to behold the things of the earth? The earth is full of nothing but sin and iniquity. How far does God have to humble himself to think on a sinner like me? David said in Psalm 40, I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Well, then how far does he have to humble himself to think on me? If God has to humble himself to think upon the things in heaven, how much did he humble himself to be made in the likeness of sinful flesh? He left glory, came to this earth, and humbled himself to be clothed in human flesh so that he could save his people from their sins. We can't imagine how far he humbled himself to do that. I heard my dad say one time he was comparing what Christ did for his people to be made flesh, to be made a man. He said, if I could save a maggot, I wouldn't do it. He said, and if I compared how far down I'd have to go to become a maggot to how far down Christ had to come to be made a man like me, I'd be insulting the maggot. We can't imagine how far he humbled himself to become flesh, but he did. And only someone as great as him could do it. God is so great, he's the only one who's able to stoop as low as we are. God is so good, he's the only one willing to stoop as low as we are. And he's so wise, he's the only one who's able to sympathize with us. In our low estate. In Psalm 136, David said, Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. And in verse 7, the psalmist gives us some idea of how far God stooped to save sinful men like you and me. He says in verse 7, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes. Even with the princes of his people. Now, in order to save his people from their sins, God couldn't just behold us in our sin and overlook it. He had to come where we are and pull us out. And in order to pull us out, he had to take our place. He had to come where we were and be made what we are and suffer everything that our sin deserves so that he could make us what he is. He took everything our sin deserves and he gives his people everything he earned through his perfect obedience as a man. Now, where were you when God found you? Well, we were in the dust. Well, how did we get in the dust? That's where we landed when Adam fell, at the rock bottom, in the dust, and just in the ashes. And we need the Redeemer to come and give us beauty for ashes. We were in the dust when God found us, and we were living in the dunghill. I mean, at the, we were at the bottom of the dunghill, in the dust of the dunghill. How much lower can you get than that? And a dunghill is a good description. It's an accurate description of the filthiness and the vileness that we are by nature. A dunghill is comprised of human and animal waste. It's a manure pile. And it's disgusting. I mean, it's disgusting. They didn't put a nice home next to the dunghill. I mean, this place is disgusting. It looks offensive. It smells offensive. It even sounds offensive, doesn't it? That's what we are by nature, offensive, in our sin, offensive to God. The dunghill is full of worthless things. This is stuff you can't even sell for scrap. I mean, Janet likes to go to these little hole-in-the-wall places and find something somebody would throw away. She can, you know, fix it up and paint it up and do this thing. The stuff you find the dunghill can't even be sold for scrap. It's worthless. That's what we are by nature. Worthless, completely and utterly worthless of absolutely no value. And in order to redeem his people from their sins, the Lord Jesus Christ came to live in that dunghill. He came to live in that dust and surrounded himself with the filth of that dunghill in order to pull his people out. He took the place of his people and cleansed them from all of their filth by washing them in that, that precious, sweet balm of Gilead, which is his, the blood of his sacrifice. And listen to me. They're cleansed. Those people for whom Christ died, every last one of them are cleansed in God's sight, without sin. Now, you have to be cast into the dust. You have to see yourself in the dunghill before God will ever lift you up. And when God lifts someone up, when He reaches way down and He lifts someone up, brethren, He lifts them all the way up, completely out. He lifts us all the way from the dunghill into his presence. He lifts us from our sin into perfect justification, being made without sin. He lifts us from hatred for God all the way to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer can say with the apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed. I know him. I know his name. I know his character. I know his righteousness. I know his blood. I know his person. I know whom I have believed. Every believer can say with Job, I know my Redeemer liveth. Yes, he died for my sins, but I know he liveth. I know it. He lifts us from the dunghill to the family of God. Isn't that what happened with Mephibosheth? Oh, he's a... Member of that family that was an enemy of King David. And David said, Is there any that's left of the house of Saul that I might show him mercy? Why? For Jonathan's sake. Covenant mercies, because he made a promise to Jonathan way back there. Way back in the council halls of eternity, God the Father and God the Son struck hands and made a promise. And all those people that Christ promised to redeem, brethren, they are redeemed because of covenant mercies. And he lifts them up to sit among princes, among his family, his sons, his daughters. I'm looking at princes and princesses. The songwriter said, I love this song. The one who taught me how to beg at his feet, at the table of grace, he gave me a seat set among princes. He lifts us from our sin and our rebellion into the very body of Christ. And you'll never be separated from him because his body will never be separated from the head. Made his body. He lifts us from death unto life. Look at verse 9. He maketh a barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Now, Spurgeon said this verse is placed last in this psalm to crown the whole psalm with God's covenant mercies. Barren. Barren is a good word to describe us by nature. Everyone lives in the dunghill. They're barren. And that word simply means dead. That's what we are by nature. Just dead. You know why there's no signs of life? Because there is no life. We're dead dead in trespasses and sins, no hope of life, D-E-A-D, dead. I wish people would understand that that's what they are by nature. And you know why they don't understand it? They're dead. A dead man can't understand anything. If God doesn't move and give life, that's the way they'll stay. And that's why we preach the gospel, because there's life in this gospel. That's where the only place you'll find life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these days, when this psalm was written, you know this well in these Eastern countries, a barren woman was considered cursed by God. She wasn't even allowed to have a house, is what they say, until she had children. It was just, it was the mark of a curse of God if a woman didn't have any children. Well, that's exactly what we are by nature. We're cursed. We're under the curse because we're under the law that we cannot keep. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all points of the law to do them. We're cursed. And we know many barren women in Scripture. And those barren women, they knew they were completely dependent upon God to give life. There's nothing they could do to make life form in their womb. They're completely dependent on God to do it. Aren't we the same way spiritually? We preach. We pray, we read the word, we point men and women to Christ, but now we're completely dependent upon God to give life. If he doesn't give it, they'll never have it. Life is his to give. And when those barren women bore that child, don't you know the joy? They were filled. But before there was joy, they experienced this hopelessness of being barren, this complete and utter dependence upon God to form life. I believe that was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ that appeared to Abraham and told him, "You're going to have a son." Sarah heard that, and laughed. She, it's, why did she laugh? It's impossible. She, she said, "It's impossible for me to bear a son now." She laughed. Well, you know what? Impossible sinners are the only sinners God saves. Those that have no hope, no other way of salvation, they're completely shut up to Christ. It's impossible for for them to find salvation. That's the sinner God will save. Hannah, barren woman. And she was in bitterness of soul. She was in bitterness. Nothing mattered more to her than the Lord giving her a son. There was nothing as important to her is God giving her a son. Well, the people who God saves are brought first. Before they experience the joy of salvation, they experience first the bitterness of soul over their sin. They're brought to bitterness. They're brought to despair. They're brought to the place that absolutely nothing matters to them but laying hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They're brought to the point that nothing matters as much to them as God's mercy to their guilty soul. That's the people that God saves. And those women, in a place of impossibility, in a place of bitterness of soul, when that baby was placed in their arms, the joy, can't describe it. You parents know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like Donnie Bell says, the gospel's heart language. You can't explain it, but Danny, it speaks to your heart. It's heart language. Well, other than seeing the Lord Jesus Christ yourself, nothing gives a believer more joy than seeing God in mercy and grace give life to their children. Nothing is more precious other than seeing Christ yourself. And without getting too personal, I know there's some joyful mothers of children here this morning. But Denise, there's one heart bursting just with thanksgiving and joy. This is a psalm of pure joy. That's what you feel this morning pure joy. Aren't we thankful? Oh, we're so thankful. God gave life. He's the only one that could. And in mercy and grace, he did. The power that it took to create that baby in the womb is the same power it took to create spiritual life. And God's done that here. Look how this psalm ends. Praise ye, the Lord. Praise ye, the Lord. Isn't that a phrase we can amen? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. His mercy and grace is everlasting. All right. Well, I hope the Lord will bless that to you.